stream. I want to welcome all of you here. I want to encourage you to share the stream. Good stuff. Nothing but good news today. Nothing but good things today. How many wants a new year? Huh? How many wants the progressive realization of a life that you were called and created to live? Anybody want that? All right. Well, my name is Pastor Kevin, and I'm here to help you. So I want to encourage you to share the stream. And uh, we're talking about, uh, we're doing a series on life, and it's just basically moving into uh, life. And we're going to talk this morning and pick up kind of where we last left off the last couple of weeks. And if you want a little bit more background on what we've been talking about or just kind of connecting some of the points I'm going to make today, um, you know, you can go online, uh, YouTube, you can see the full videos, and we stream it all there. Elevate Miami Church. So um, are you willing to change? So this is the first question. Say this with me. Nothing changes. Unless I do. This is true. Nothing is going to change unless you do. And so the first question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to change? Most people want everything around them to change, but they themselves aren't willing to change. Say this, the bridge from where I am to where I need to be is called change. That's right. Something about the scripture, God tells us that he leads us from glory to glory. One of the operations of the Lord in your life is to lead you in a transformation journey. We're transforming. We're renewing, right? Do you understand this? You guys with me on this? God, so say this with me. Jesus, come on, Jesus loves me too much to leave me the same. The Lord will not allow you to remain the same. If you're going to follow him, he is going to lead you and he is going to carry you forward and he is going to call you out onto greater what was that? I don't even know. Did I lose a light? Ah, ah. You ever see the show where the, the, the teleprompter stops and the newscasters freeze? There's a, anyway, so the lights are off. Oh. Anyway, squirrel, back on topic. So are you willing to change? Nothing changes unless you do. People want everything around them to change, but they themselves aren't willing to change. When you follow Jesus, he leads you in this progression. That's what he does. And what people don't understand, too, this is interesting, too, how, they, how, God, how God leads us, is that they, people believe, and this is, I mean, the American church teaches this big time. Unfortunately, the kingdom doesn't teach this, and the gospel doesn't teach this. When God is leading you, he's leading you out of uncomfortability. He leads you into unfamiliarity. And when he makes everything unfamiliar to you, it's so that you have nothing or no one to rely upon except him. What we think is that Jesus lays us on a bed and the angels are just marching us down from one place of comfort and then they bring us over here to the next place of comfort. That's not true at all. And that's not really how God leads our lives. And when we're following Jesus, he moves you out of who you've been and his goal is to turn you into who you are and continually do this progressively. This is what a life of following Jesus is all about is its change and its transformation and its change and its transformation and growing. Are you willing to change? That's the first question you have to ask yourself. Nothing changes unless you do. So do you want to change? Do you want to change? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to change? This is the second question. Everybody wants it. They just don't want to do what it takes. You know what I'm saying? So I tell people like this. I, I, this is a simple thing. I'm like, you know, do you want, do you want your life to be different spiritually? Do you, want, do you want God to do something significant in your life this year? And they'll say, yes, absolutely, yes. And I'll say, okay, make it your goal to be in church 75% of the time. Oh, I didn't know it had to do that. Oh, I didn't know. That. You know, you want to change, but you're not willing to do what it takes to change. A lot of times that's, that's the way people are. So there's something we've talked about the last couple of weeks called the 95% rule. 
95% of people on this planet will do nothing with their lives. Zero. Do, 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 do. 95% will do nothing with their lives. Go to an amusement park and just sit down and watch all the people walk around. Go to a shopping mall or a shopping center and just watch all the people walk around. Most people are just living common lives of existence. That's all they do. Well, the poet uh, Thoreau said that men leave lives of quiet desperation, quietly desperate for change, but not wanting to do anything that offsets what is familiar to them. It's just the way it is. 5% of people actually do something with their lives. They actually hear the content and activate it. They, like, I, I shared this in first service, like public speakers know this. That's why when you go to like these seminars or, you know, you go to a tech seminar or I don't know what your field is and you go to that, you go to that place and, and they're giving you this crazy content and you're like, why are they giving you this for free? Do you know why they're giving it to you for free? Because they know that 95% of the people in the room are going to do nothing with it. That's why. And they know that the people are going to hear it, but they're not going to do anything with it. So they'll probably end up with a follow up with them because only 5% of the people actually take the content. They're actually giving it away because they know that only 5% of the people are going to do anything with it. And this is really the way it is. And you've got to decide if you want what God wants for you. If, listen, if you want to be common, you're going to have a lot of company, right? You're going to have a lot of friends. You're going to have a lot of warm friends. You're going to have all kinds of company. If you want to be exceptional, you'll never, you'll never be accepted. Most people will never accept you. You just got to get over it. The exceptional are not always accepted. But if you want to be accepted, you will never be exceptional. You have to rise to the level of your birth. You have to rise to the level of your calling. You have to rise to the level of your purpose and what God wants for you. And as you do that, you're going to leave the 95% behind. It doesn't mean you're better than them. It just means you're saying, I'm not staying here, man. And that 95% is going to be like, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us. And they're going to do all these different things and they're going to try to pull you right back to where they are because they're uncomfortable that you're part of the 5% that doesn't want to be like them. And I always tell, tell people, like, who do you think you are? And I said, it's not who I think I am. It's who Jesus says I am. It has nothing to do with what I think about myself. It has everything to do with who, what he has said to me and what he has called me to do. That's what I'm choosing. I'm not purposefully trying to be what I think I am. I'm like, who am I to you, Lord, and what do you have for me? And that's what I pursue, and nothing else matters. Cast aside every weight that does so easily beset us. Let us run the race with endurance, right? Get rid of everything that gets in the way. Press on towards the upward prize of calling in Christ Jesus. This is the concept. Separate yourself from what is common. Separate yourself from the average. It's on all of our lives, ekkaleo. Every believer is called. Every single believer has an ekkaleo on their life. Ekkaleo means the king summons. Huh? Isn't that beautiful? I'm, you're all called. You know, the calling is ekkaleo. If you look at what it means, it means come before me, come unto me. Ekkaleo, come to me. So we come unto him. We receive from him and we go forth with him. And then every time we get lost, you know what we do? We come back to him, ekkaleo. We receive from him, and we go back with him. That's, that every single believer has a purpose on their life. Every single believer has, has something that they're called to do. You have an arcing purpose. You have mandates in season. You have assignments in season. There are seasons of your life where God is saying, this is your assignment. There are seasons of your life where God is saying, this is your mandate. A mandate is, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is what you must do. An assignment is the thing that you have to do in this season. 
you're assigned to this. There are people that feel like they have a calling, but God's assigned you to preparation. There are people that feel like they have this thing. I got this crazy thing. I meet Christians all the time. I'm going to change the world. I'm like, hallelujah, I'm with you. But you don't even know your Bible. You know what I mean? You've been saved for a year. I'm all in. Change the world. The Apostle Paul took three years of preparation. A guy who grew up in the faith. A guy who grew up in Judaism. Taught by the highest teachers. And when he came to Jesus, he retreated and took three years before he ever started doing anything. And you think you're better than Paul? You think you got it happening more than Paul? That's what I tell people. I'm ready. Like, you need to prepare. There are people that are in preparation, right? There are people that are in testing periods. God, listen, say this with me. Okay, to whom he'd say that, I'm going to give you the verse. It's in Romans. To whom he justified, he sanctified. To whom he sanctified, he glorified. There's a progression here. God justifies you by calling himself back to him, right? So you're justified. You're made right with him. You're, you're saved because Jesus says so. You're a son. You're a daughter because Jesus says so. You are justified. You didn't ask for the title. He gave it to you. And the reason you have that title on your life and the reason you have that identity on your life is because he says so. He has justified you. No one else. Who can condemn whom Christ has justified? No one. He's the one that says it. Nobody else can condemn you. Even if your heart condemns you, he's greater than your heart. So you're justified. He justifies you, and then he sanctifies you. He sets you apart. In the sanctification, when he's setting you apart and he's getting rid of old habits and hang-ups and hurts, and he's working on you, his desire is to build your character in order that he may glorify you. What does glory mean? It's the Hebrew word kavod. It means wait. Wait. This post is here. The most annoying post in the building is the one right here. This post is, in, is, is on this building because it supports the floor above. If you remove the, floor, the posts, the weight of the floor above will crush everything that's beneath it. What God is doing when he's establishing your character is he's getting rid of things that don't belong and he's establishing pillars in your life, pillars of faith, pillars of consistency, pillars of whatever, you know, faithfulness. He's establishing these consistent pillars in your life in order to put weight on your life. Most people want God's weight. They want God's substance. They want their life to have substance. You're all created for it. There's not a Christian on the planet that's born again that God does not intend to put glory in and through their life. And if you don't believe that, you don't know who he is. You're born for it. But the issue isn't the fact that you're born for it. The issue is, is how do you bring it forth? How do we manifest the weight of glory? How do we manifest the identity? How do we do that? Part of it is through allowing God to use this sanctification process of setting you apart. Yeah, it's not smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing. We think it's all external rules. The character development is within the heart. It's the faithfulness. It's the servitude. When nobody's looking, the lights aren't on you, and you're still making plays. Hmm? You're not the starting quarterback, and you're still making plays. You're going all in, when no, all in all the time when nobody's looking. That's what heaven looks for. You're faithful. You're consistent in season and out. You give when you have it, and you give when you don't. That's what heaven is looking for. That's the life that God marks. And from that life that God marks, he puts weight on that life. He puts substance. He will not put weight on a life that is not set apart and that is not, the character hasn't been developed. So some people are in that season where God's developing their character. He's making you wait for no particular reason at all. No reason. Makes no sense. But you're waiting. 
And why am I waiting? Because I said so. Because I said so. Because I said so. <laughs> if I lost you? <laughs> this is how it works. I want to give you a faith that is real. I want to give you a faith that works. And I want to give you this, you know, shiny, happy people. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Now, this stuff, what I'm telling you is true. And what I'm telling you, this is how the kingdom moves forward. This is how the 5% can manifest kingdom, if there is even 5% in this kingdom that can manifest it. 95% don't do, do nothing, not just with their lives, but with their faith. Most Christians just come and go. Most Christians can't palate a message that has any strength to it. They can't chew meat. Yeah? They've never developed teeth to chew a word that's hard for them to digest. They want to gum it, you know. They want puree. You know, give me baby food. So everything is baby food. And then they spit it back at you. It's true. Is that what God wants? That's not what God wants. God wants giant slayers. God wants strong sons and daughters. He wants men at arms and he wants shield maidens who are not afraid of the fight. And who are not afraid to advance. Oh, well, I feel the glory on that one. Ah. Who are not afraid. Sorry. Who are not afraid of the, who are not afraid to move this, move this gospel forward and move forward into the things that God has for them. This is what he wants. The question you have to ask is, do you want to be that person? Are you among the many? At Kaleo, he calls you, but are you willing to change? And are you willing to do the things that are necessary that bring this stuff forth in your life? Dreams, purposes, and visions. One of the first things that has to happen is the Christian has to shift in their thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12.1. So it's the way that we are transformed. We are literally, we aren't reformed. We are transformed. We become something. The God, God has designed it so that you become something you've never been before. Happy day. Anybody want that? I'm all in, right? I can be transformed. I'm not reformed. I'm transformed. I moved into a person, a place, a, a substance that I've never been. Completely new. Come on, Shirley. Come on. That's right. That's why I put Shirley right there because she just looks at me and says, amen. And I look right over there and whack. There it is, right? You stay right there, Shirley. You just stay right there. <laughs> you keep cheerleading. God will transform you if you'll change the way that you think. And one of the ways that we change the way that we think is you've got to understand the perspective of the kingdom, not the culture, and not the church culture. The culture has an opinion. I don't know if you're aware of it. Culture means mindset. So you have the mindset of the culture, you have the mindset of the church, and you have the mindset of the kingdom. And you get to choose who you align with. Lots of Christians aligned with the culture. Lots of them. Think, act, talk, be, love, live, just like the culture. Not God's, that will not manifest the kingdom. And we have the other religious Christians who think and act like the church. All the external rules, all the external righteousness, everything's out here. We all look good. We all look good. Everybody's perfect. There's no honesty in the faith. There's nothing. Everything's an external control trying to impress each other. Who cares? The only person we're supposed to impress is Jesus. The kingdom culture. That's a totally different mindset. That brings the power. That brings the change. That brings all of, the, all of the things that shift. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The kingdom culture says you're created on purpose with a purpose. The kingdom culture says this, that the culture of the church and the culture of the kingdom is dreamers and visionaries. You got a verse, Pastor? I got a few. Ephesians 2.10. You say, put your hand on your heart. Come on. I dare you. Put your hand on your heart. Say it with me. I am God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works, which he has prepared in advance 
as my way of life. Ephesians 2, you're his masterpiece. You're the height of all of his creation. You're his image bearers to whom he desires to live through. Don't ask me why, but it's what he wants. And if Jesus wants to live through me, then let's go, right? Hallelujah. You're his masterpiece. You're created for good works, a purpose to bring something forth. And he's prepared it for you. He's got something for you. And it's a way of life. Christianity, this gospel, this kingdom is a lifestyle. It's not something we do on, on Sundays or at best, most, most Christians, Easter and Christmas, if at all, right? If you're trying to get in shape and you went to the gym two days, two days a year, how, how, would, how would that work for you, right? Well, it's Christmas. Going to go and do my workout. Arr, arr, arr. Well, it's Easter. Going to go and do my workout. Arr, arr, arr. And then you look in the mirror and go, now, why can't I get in shape? <laughs> but that's how believers think. Or if I feel like it. How does it work when you go to the gym when you feel like it? It doesn't work at all. Because you never feel like it. You really don't. Rudy, you run, right? You're a runner now, so you got that runner high. You got that Jones. So now you feel like running because you want to run. But when you start to run, you don't really feel like running, do you? You don't want to do it. That's what they call it, that running. When you start running, you break through that, run, that second wind, that runner's wall, and then you're gone. And then that becomes that thing that drives you forward. But you don't feel like running. You don't feel like it. But you do it anyway. This kingdom's the same way. It's a lifestyle, man. It's a lifestyle. We, we have to live it. We have to be a part of it. You got to understand you're created with a purpose. You got to understand that dreams and visions are good. Do I have any dreamers and visionaries in the room? Okay, I expected way more than that. Okay, come on. I'm, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweep across the room. Do I have any dreamers and visionaries in this room? That's right. You are a culture of dreamers and visionaries. In the last days, the Lord will pull out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream, see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. The whole culture, he said, it will be your maidservants, your, ma your manservants. It will be upon all, those who are near and those who are far. All who call on my name, this, will be, this is their inheritance. Dreams and visions, Christian. Dreams, say it with me. Dreams and visions by the Holy Spirit are prophetic, but they're also directional. You understand? There's prophetic dreams and visions. I'm all in on that. But there's also directional dreams and visions. God gives a vision in your heart. God gives you a dream. There's something inborn in you, a calling, a compelling forward. Anybody know who Albert Schweitzer is? No? No one knows who Albert Schweitzer is? Surely knows who Albert Schweitzer is. He served Africa. He did all these really amazing things in Africa. And the reason that he was able to accomplish these things is he said, the dream drove me forward. The dream drove me forward. He had a dream in his heart, and that's what made him go forward. We're a culture of dreamers and visionaries. It's just true. We're supposed to be a creative people. Do I got a witness over here, Allie? Do I have a witness on the creativity? Thank you very much. We're supposed to be a creative people. We're supposed to be an innovative people. We're supposed to lead the field, if you really want to know, right? <laughs> we have access to the eternal world. We have access to the Holy Spirit. The one who created it all lives in you. You carry him. Hello? We're supposed to be that. So the first thing that has to happen is the shift of mindset. you got to realize you have a purpose. you got to realize that God's created you to have a dream and a vision. Something that the church does is they just beat it out of you. I just want to beat that out of you. I'm going to beat that down. I'm going to beat it down. Beat it down. No imagination here. Beat that down. 
We have all the answers. Don't ask any questions. Just do what we say. Or God's on your agenda. God's not on your agenda. God's on his agenda. But he will dream with you. He will dream with you. Oh, come on, man. Dreaming with Jesus. How, where, in the, where will he take you? Into the impossible. <laughs> Great and mighty things that you don't know of. Exceedingly abundantly of all that you could ask for or even think. He'll blow your mind. He'll blow your mind. Crazy, right? You're created with a purpose. You're created for dreams and visions, prophetic and directional. God wills that you prosper. Say it with me. It is God's will that I succeed and that I prosper. That's a fact. And me Christians, well, I'm just going to be poor like Jesus. He had no place to lay his head. I'm thinking of going out and sleeping in my car. That's what I'm thinking. I want to be like Jesus. I'm like, go all in, man. Get the robe and sandals. Just go for it. Go all in. John, the third letter of John, he says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper. Those loved of the God, I pray that you prosper. And I pray that you be in, uh, prosper in all things and that you are in health as your soul prospers. He covers all dimensions, right? That you are prosperous, that you are successful in all things, even as your soul prospers and you're in healthy. This is God's heart for you. It's God's heart for you. He won't do, you cannot do, so look, this is important too. Very important. You have to see yourself and understand yourself as God made it. You have to see this kingdom and understand this kingdom as God made it. You, when you become a believer, you are symbiotically bound to his ecosystem. You are in this world, but you are not of it. You can act like the culture. You can keep going and being a part of the culture and doing all that crazy stuff, but it'll never produce anything good. Or you can realize that you are part of the king's ecosystem. And in him you live, move, and have your being. And as you follow him, then these things come to pass. As you follow him, then these things come to pass in your life. When you begin to connect to the ecosystem, you're already in it. So as you participate in this ecosystem or as you deny this ecosystem, so will go your life, Christian. So will go your life. That's why Christians have problems all the time. There's all these stumblings all the time because a lot of times they don't understand. You're no longer part of this system. You're part of his system. You keep trying to make this system work for you, this world system work for you, and it won't work because you're not there. You pass from darkness to light. You're translated. The bridge is burned. There's no going back. You can go back there, but that's why you can never get it to work because you're no longer part of that system. In fact, that system actually works worse for you. You're around the unbelievers, and they're playing the system, and they're succeeding, and you can't make it work. Why? Because you're not part of that system. You're part of his economy and part of his kingdom. So that behooves you to understand that kingdom, and it behooves you to understand that economy. So as you work and operate in it, then you transcend, and you actually go higher. You're higher. You can go further. You can have stability that the worldly people don't have. Huh? The rain's going to come. The wind's going to blow. Yeah, exactly. The water's going to rise. Their house will come down. And you say, well, my house may come down too. Yeah, but it'll be built back up because you're doing it in his ecosystem. Jesus doesn't lose, Christian. He's never lost. He doesn't like to lose. And he never will lose. So when you're partnering with him, you're partnering with a winner. <laughs> but you got to realize that you're not part of this ecosystem anymore. You're part of his. And your life will rise and fall to the degree that you unite yourself with it emotionally, spiritually, 
financially, relationally, when you operate according to his ecosystem, it flows. Seek first the what? And what? And then what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be given to you. Do you get that? The ecosystem. Seek first what is right. Seek first his kingdom, right? His, his king, the king's dominion, the world, his world. Seek first his world, the dominion of the spirit, the dominion of his ways, and then do what is right to him, not what is right to you, not what is right to the culture, right? Not what is right to your friends, not what is right and popular. Do what is right to him and everything will flow. You get it? So this is where the disconnect is. We don't have the flow of the kingdom because people don't seek his world. They don't seek the king's dominion. They seek their own dominion or they seek some other dominion. Or who, who knows what they're seeking? And then they don't do what's right to the Lord. They do what's right to themselves. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> this is what I should do. And the Lord has told me, and I'll tell people when they say that, the Lord's told me to do this. And I'm like, the Bible doesn't say that. But the Lord has told me. I'm so like, you're the unique individual that God is going to contradict his word for because, you know, it's like, you know, it doesn't work like that. But you got to understand that, that ecosystem. So you got to understand that God's purpose is for you to prosper. You got to understand that God has a purpose for your life. You got to understand that dreams and visions are necessary and they're not even necessary, they're easy. For the Christian, dreams and visions are easy. God will give them to you. He'll give them to you. He'll give you. Anybody got dreams? Anybody? And the Lord ever shown you anything? Raise your hand. Has the Lord ever shown you? You just see it in your spirit. You don't know where it comes from. You don't understand it. But God's shown you anything. Come on. Anybody on the side, you ever had God show you anything? Has he given you a vision? Has he shown you anything? That's right. Because you belong to him, and he can communicate with you on that level if you'll let him. If you'll let him. People trip out. You know, me, I'm like, yeah, let's go, you know. <laughs> Life will change when you do. You got to become this person. So here's something that causes us to change. This is actually the point I was trying to make the whole time, which I'm coming to, is goals cause you to change. You have to have goals. People have, se- have studied success for centuries, definitely decades in this country. And the most common, th- the most common denominator th- through everybody who's been successful, doesn't matter where their success lies, is that they know what they want. They have clear objectives. They have clear goals. Say it with me. The world gets out of the way for the person who knows where they're going because most people don't know where they're going. 95%. You understand? That's the point. You have to have a goal. So we can read by five. We start working full-time usually by 25. Yet by 65, we've never learned to prosper or succeed in the wealthiest, most opportunistic country the world has ever created. So let me say it again. We can read by the time we're five. We're usually working full-time by the time we're 25. But by the time we're 65, we have not learned to succeed or prosper in the wealthiest nation and the most opportunistic nation the world has ever created. America owes you nothing. Owes you nothing. We have a generation that thinks we should have um, economic equality. America was not founded on economic equality. They don't understand how this, see again, it's like there's a system within our country, like it or not, a system exists. And it's a system of opportunity. It's not a system of equality financially or economically. America was never designed to, you want that, go to France. They'll, they'll help you with that. Go to Germany. They're all about 
economic equality. You know, everybody's socialism. They're all about balancing that out. America is not like that. America is the land of opportunity. You've heard it said. You understand that? And so what, and you see, this, you see this stuff played out in real time. You have immigrants that come to this country and they succeed in 10 years and you have Americans that are here that haven't done anything in their whole lifetime because the immigrant understands the opportunity that's being given to them where the native born doesn't, can't even see what's in front of their face. They think everything's owed to them. Nothing's owed to you. The world owes you nothing. The kingdom owes you nothing. Jesus owes you nothing. He gives you everything, but he owes you nothing. He extends his hand. There are people in the room. God's given you things, but it doesn't work in your life. God's not going to do for you what you won't, you won't participate with. I mean, it freaks people out. We're saved by grace. We don't have to work. We're saved by grace. We don't have to work. I'm sorry. Have you read your Bible? What do you mean you don't have to work? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Call upon me, and I will answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things. God's going to show me, not if you don't call on him. <laughs> I mean, at the most basic level, we have to do something. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you'll be born again. God's going to do everything. God's going to save them. Not if they don't believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. <laughs> I don't know where we get this stuff from, right? But we, we, we don't have to do anything. We're just going to sit around and let God do everything. It's a partnership. It has been so from the beginning. Go back to Genesis, and you will see that it's a partnership. Go to Matthew 28, and you will see that it's a partnership. Go into all the world. Lo, I'll be with you always. Partnership. In the beginning, God told him to go create culture. I'll be, you know, God, it was the same kind of dynamic, father to son. It's always and forever will be a partnership with the Lord. Goals cause you to change. Goals cause you to change. You have to have a goal. Do you know the treasure that you're here? So, okay, I was just talking to some guy yesterday, and he, you know, whatever, he got a visa, and he was explaining to me, um, you know, I don't feel like I've done anything with my life. And I was talking to him about a bunch of different things, and I pointed out to him, I said, you just got a visa that leads to a green card that leads to citizenship. And he, he did a lot of that. He did a lot of it on his own. I said, if you were to take that back to your country, to somebody wealthy, and you were to offer to sell that, if you could, for a million dollars, could you get it? And he said, in a minute. And I said, you just, you just won the lottery. There's no place, you know, whether, you know, again, I'm not here to wave the stars and stripes, but you don't understand the environment that you're in. You don't understand the opportunities that are in front of you. I always tell people, opportunity shows up wearing work clothes. Hmm? We think opportunity shows up as a check that we need to cash. No, no, no. Opportunity shows up wearing work clothes. Let's go. Let's get to work. <laughs> it's getting real quiet in here. Hush has come over the house. So God has called you. So goals cause you to change. So, okay, so here's the deal. Um, so where am I going to go with this? I got to come back to this point. All right. Goals cause you to change. So why, why do goals cause us to change? What happens, so here's, here's, so they did a study in 1954. And what's really interesting, if anybody, anybody here did, anybody, any psych majors here? Anybody ever studied psychology at all? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you got it? Okay. So we have all these psychological breakthroughs, right? All these breakthroughs in psychology, and they typically come on the heels of a major war. So you have like Freud and Nitschke happening in the 30s right after World War I, you know, because all these traumatized people. You know, and so, all, so there's these breakthroughs in psychology because they have to deal with all this trauma. In the 50s, there was another breakthrough. It was all because guys coming out of World War II and all the damage and the psychological stuff that happened during the war. And so there was all these breakthroughs. They were trying to study what's going on here, and they're trying to help people. One of the breakthroughs that came about um, in 1954, there was a study to find out why people succeed and why people are happy and why people don't succeed and why people are depressed. Anybody want to know? No? Nobody wants to know? All right, come back in a month, and maybe I'll bring it back to you. So I'm not going to 
No? You want to know? You didn't answer me when I asked you, Mimi. You did? Okay. Anybody want to know? Raise your hand. Come on. Anybody want to know? Yeah? All right. I'm going to tell you. And so they call it locus of control. People that fail or are unsuccessful and are the unhappy, they believe that their life is controlled by external factors. The economy, you know, the who's in the White House, the wind, the weather. And so they live their lives based upon external controls. They make all their decisions based upon external controls. Everything's based on, oh my gosh, Amazon's laying off 12,000 workers. Oh my gosh, I got to sell my stock on Amazon before, you know, I mean, they make everything based on external controls. The happy and successful people understand that the locus of control is within them. That it's based upon the decisions that they make and they're not affected by outside circumstances. You can go through, this is kingdom. You believe in, there's all of these kingdom things. It's, It's basically talking about like that you are the agent of change. It doesn't matter. None of these things move me. External circumstances are not to move the Christian. And so people that are unsuccessful and people that are unhappy, they're unhappy because they, well, my mother never encouraged me. You know, and I'm not saying you don't have pain and trauma from your childhood. That's not what I'm saying because that stuff's real. But excuses are not. Oh, I didn't have the education. My high school teacher didn't like me, so I failed that economics class, and that's why I can't succeed in business. I'm like, you know, wake up, man. You have to change the locus of control. You have to stop living. If you have to say it with me, excuses. Come on, excuses are the language of poverty. Unsuccessful people have every excuse in the world. Well, those people betrayed me. Those business partners burned me. Well, who made the business deal with them? Did you? Okay. So it's not really nothing to do with them. It has to do with your judge of character. Does it not? You didn't judge them very correctly. You, there's something you didn't see. So stop blaming them and take the responsibility. Take the responsibility and become a better judge of character and not do that again. Oh, that's too hard. You know what happens? Most people, their excuses is their blanket. It's their snuggie. You know, they, 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 I don't, they don't want to give up their excuses because then they got to give away up their warm blanket. They could, that blank, that excuse is what keeps them warm in the wintertime. And, you know, oh, I can just go down in my excuses. Nobody loves me. Ah. Nobody. Nobody loves you. Jesus loves you. That's all that matters. Rise up. Excuses are the language of poverty, Christian. You got to give up your excuses. You got to shift the locus of control. Your life is not affected by the outside world. The Bible actually tells us to focus on that which is eternal. For the things that we see are temporal and subject to change. But it tells us to focus on that which is eternal and not the things that are subject to change. You have to shift that locus of control. Unsuccessful people are unsuccessful because they, they are, they're moved by everything around them. All their decisions are made by externals. You can take charge of your life. Does anybody believe that? You can be a completely different person. I don't care what your circumstances are. I don't care how bad your circumstances are. I don't care how negative your circumstances are. You can be transformed within five years. Statistically, you can transform and turn an entire life around within five years. We don't like that because we're Americans. We want to turn around in five days. We want to turn around in five hours. Five years? Are you crazy? I always tell people you screwed it up in 20 Five years to turn it around is a pretty good exchange, is it not? That's right. It's true. 
And I shared you the story last week about this guy who um, was, he'd become very, very successful, but he had a guy, and he was really, he's in his 20s, and he just had made a mess of his whole life. He's in his mid-20s, and he meets this guy, and he's as this successful guy, and he said, hey, would you help me? And the guy's like, yeah, I'll help you. And so he sits down with him, and he says, I want you to make a list of all of the reasons why you have not succeeded. I want you to make a list of everything as to why your business has failed, your company has failed, and you can't move the ball. I want you to write it down. Write it down. So he writes it down. He goes to lunch with the guy. The guy runs his finger down the, down the list. He just looks at it really fast. He said, you're missing the most important one. And the guy says, what? And he says, you. You. None of these things. The economic conditions, you can succeed. It doesn't matter the economic conditions. There's something within you. And the guy told him, he said, I can help you, and I can turn your whole life around in five years, but you got to listen to me. And then he told him, if you don't listen to me, I don't have time. I don't have time. Most people don't want to listen. They want to give me four points that will change it tomorrow. It's not going to happen like that. Did you get into the mess overnight? There was, I'm sure there was a series of events that led to you going over that cliff. Right? You met that person, you got in that car, you went to that gas station, you filled the car up, you drove to the cliff, and then you went over it. So there were several steps <laughs> along the way before you actually went over the cliff. So you can turn it around within five years, but most people don't want to do that because most people don't want to change. You have to change. You have to shift. Huh? This is how it works. It's, it's absolutely possible. You can change anybody's economic condition within five years. It's completely possible. It's absolutely possible. You can change a marriage probably quicker than five years. Some things are faster. Other things are not. The Bible says, see, you've got to take inventory of your life. So here's one of the things, right? So everybody say it with me. Take inventory of my life. So let's say this before I say it again. Because oh, I'm going to say it again, but I want you to say this. Ouch. Okay, let's get that out of the way. I need to take inventory of my life. Some of you are still stuck on the ouch. You need to take inventory of your life, and you need to assess where you are. And then you need to do to assess where you want to be. If you are not where you are in comparison to where you want to be, guess what has to happen? Ch-ch-ch-changes. You've got to change. <laughs> Allie's going to start singing with me. Come on, Allie. Turn and face the change. <laughs> David Bowie, for all you fans out there. The pastor's quoting David Bowie. This is a heretical church. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> you have to change. But you've got to take inventory. It, it hurts to take inventory. It hurts to take it, look at your life. It hurts to look back on the mistakes that you've made. It hurts. It does, but you're not changing unless you do. You have to look at it. Well, I screwed that one up, all right? We have, we have a father who's in the restoration business. This is the most beautiful story. The gospel narrative is more beautiful than you ever. We, we sing it this morning. My beloved is more beautiful than thousands. Your beloved is more beautiful than thousands, not just in, in his radiance, but in his ways. He's so beautiful. He's so kind. He's so merciful. He's so loving. He's so just. He's so capable. Your beloved will turn it all around for you. Your father's in the restoration business. That's his, that's his, that's his full-time profession, is restoration. What is your father's business? Restoration. But you got to listen to him. Nobody say this with me. I, no one, come on, no one can make me the person I don't want to be. Nobody can make you the person you don't want to be. You don't want to be that person? You don't have to worry about it. Nobody's ever going to make you. Nobody can make you the person you don't want to be. 
You have to be who God wants you to be. You have to choose to be a different person. You have to take inventory of your life. Where are you? How did you get there? What needs to change? What mess have I inherited? You know, what mess have I created? If I am here, then what's the next step? Where do I go forward? And I'll share this because I didn't share it in first service. But it, so if I jumble my points, just I wanted to share this in first service, but I ran out of time. Um, say it with me. Back from the future. You've heard of back to the future. One of the ways you set goals and one of the ways you achieve things is that you go back from the future. You project your life out five years and you see where you want to be. And then you come backwards and then you start working towards that goal. You project it. Where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What kind of relationship do you want to have? What kind of finances do you want to have? What kind of faith do you want to have? All of these things are important. And God desires that we grow into all of these areas. You're created to succeed. You're created to achieve. It doesn't matter. You know, it's like we, we, think, we think success is you're going to start a new social network. No, success might be raising a godly children. Success might be creating a godly line and creating gospel thread through your family that never existed before. That's successful. You know what I mean? Creating legacy, that's success. You get me? So you don't have to think in these like unachievable terms. It's relative to where you're at. Are you progressing? Are you regressing? Are you stuck? Say this. Some people, sh some people wait for it to happen. Some people make it happen. And some people wonder, what happened? Right? What goals do, you know, that's, listen, life's going to happen. Life is going to happen. And you can either define it or it will be defined for you. You can either define your identity, and I encourage you to do it in light of Jesus. You can define the purpose. You can define your life. Or life has a funny way of defining it for you. Yeah, it's true. You got to change. Proverbs says this. Proverbs 23, 7 is a person thinks in their heart as they think, perceive, and believe in their heart so they are. This is, again, a psychological study uh, that they understand, uh, they understand that, the, like, how we're made. We're cybernetic. Sounds kind of futuristic, doesn't it? Cybernetic, which means the internal control tends to drive our lives. They've discovered this about people. The internal control drives their life. As a, and, and it's exactly what the Bible says. As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. That becomes the driving force. If you, do, if you feel yourself unloved and unaccepted, does that, does that affect you? If you feel like nobody loves you, does that affect you? Yeah, it affects you socially. It affects you. You know, if you feel like you're never going to succeed, does that affect you? Hmm? You say, absolutely it does. And so they, they discovered that man is cybernetically driven. And so it's almost like this reprogramming thing that has to happen. You've got to be reprogrammed. People say, well, you Christians are brainwashed. I'm like, absolutely. And Jesus is washing my brain and may do it a thousand times. And not just my brain, but every part of me. Yeah? I got no issues with that. I'm like, absolutely. I'm kingdom brainwashed, man. Totally. I want to think like him. I want to be like him. I want to connect to what he's doing. But you're, you have to understand that the internal programming has to change. This is why over and over every week we, we, we talk about this sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. Why? Because it's important to see yourself as he sees you. Yeah. I said this a few weeks ago, and so I'm going to address this YouTube quote right here. I put this out there, and I said, you know, who told you that? Who told you you're a sinner saved by grace? And this girl puts up there, my Bible. And she puts out Ephesians chapter 3, for by grace we are saved, and that not of ourselves. I'm like, that, I'm like you missed the point entirely. That's not what I was saying. 
You know, when you're outside of Christ, you're a sinner. You come to Christ, you're saved by grace. Absolutely. But who are you once you can become saved? Who are you? You're, you're not. You're a saint. That's one thing. What? Keep going. You're a son or a daughter. You don't keep the title of sinner when you come to Jesus. That's not who you are. Well, we're just sinners saved by grace. Dude, you're stuck in a moment. You're stuck in the past. You're a son. You're a son on your worst day. You're adopted with full privileges, full kingdom rights on the first day. That's how good he is. Then thousands and thousands. You're loved on your worst day. God's for you even when you're against you. It's true. This is the type of thinking and program. I'm loved of my father. I'm where I have bad days all the time. My wife heard me. I was thinking it was my wife or it was my son. And I say it to myself all the time. And I'll just remind myself, I'm loved of my father. And somebody, I think Sherry said it to me. She's like, what did you say? I said, I'm loved of my father. And she's like, wow, that's a really good thing to say. And I'm like, yeah, I, mean, I say it to myself all the time. I'm loved of my father. My father loves me. You know what? Nothing else matters. I'm loved of my father. He loves me. And in that love, all things are possible. And in that love, all things transcend. And in that love, all things are possible. All things. I'm loved of my father. I cannot fail. I cannot disappoint him. Because I did not appoint me. He appointed me. He celebrates me. And I am loved of my father. On my worst day. I might have cut that woman off for that parking space. However. And I might, and I might feel bad about that. And I'm like, oh, man. Sorry. You know, I had to get the last carton of eggs. You know how it is. But anyway. And then I'll feel bad about it. And I'll go, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm loved of my father. You know? <laughs> You're loved of your father. You're loved of your father. You're created with a purpose. Where did I go? I skipped down too far. You got to change. You have to reprogram yourself. You have to see yourself as Jesus sees you. You have to see that God desires you to prosper. And you have to begin to see this, this whole kind of cybernetic thing. It's like that, that drives you. That is the motor. You can't stop it. Your wounds, your traumas, your pain, your disbeliefs will drive you if you don't deal with them. You can't control it. You all know it. You can't control it. It controls you. You can't think it away because there's something moving you at a deeper level. And so you got to change at the deepest level. you got to transform at the deepest level. Am I making sense? <laughs> I want to address every theological question that I'm having with myself, but I don't wanna, I'm not going to do that. So you got to change. you got to change in how, how you see yourself in light of who he says you are. And then you've got to change your attitude. Everybody say it with me. Stop making excuses. Yeah, stop making excuses. No excuse. No excuse. I don't care. No excuse. No excuse. I screwed that up. I need to do better. Please forgive me. Let's move on. No excuse. I'm sorry. I completely made a mess. I did that wrong. No excuse. Let's go forward. Well, I said that because you said this. And I did that because you did this. No, no excuse. Take responsibility for your own behavior. Take responsibility for your own life. If you want to change and you want to renew and you want to become, you have to change. stop making excuses. You have to change the people, places, and things that you associate with. So I had a guy a long time ago ask me this question. He said, what has your life produced? Right? Great question, right? Great question. How would you like somebody sit down with you and go, Jeremiah, what has your life produced? And I'm like, nothing. You know, but... His point to me was, if your belief system has produced this, then your belief system is wrong. If your perspective of God has brought, this, has brought your life to this point, then your perspective of the Lord is wrong. 
This is what he was saying. If the people you're associating with has brought you to this point, then the people you're associating with is wrong. If the places you keep going to has brought you to this place, then the places that you're going to is wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? If you want something different, if you want what you never had, you got to do what you've never done. you got to cut these people, you got to cut these people, places, and things out of your life. Some of you need to change your theology. You need to change your perspective of God, which is what I've been trying to push you towards. You need to stop seeing him as you have currently seen him. You have to see him in a greater way. You have to allow him into your life in a greater way. You have to commune with him in a greater way. You, and, and you have to change the manner of speech. So if you're trying to succeed in this planet, like it or not, people will judge you by the way you talk. <laughs> they will. I say it to young people all the time because young people like the slang, you know, this and that and do and de and de. And just think about yourself. No, think about how you assess people on the way that they talk, right? You have to change the manner of speech. You have to change the way that you speak. If you talk aggressively, you have to stop talking like that. If you overpower people with your speech, you have to deal with that. If you're too timid with your speech, you have to deal with that. You have to change your manner of speech. This is important. You have to manage your time. These are just simple things. These are goals that you can work on. Okay, what area where did I talk that I need to work on? Here's another one. Manage your time. If you don't say it with me, if I don't define my time, somebody else will. Somebody with a more committed agenda than you will define your time. I'm a pastor. People have all kinds of committed agendas for me. Pastor, you need to do this. Pastor, you need to do that. Pastor, you need to go over here. Pastor, you know, everybody's got a committed agenda, and they think, won't interpret me for me, right? So I have to define me. And, and in the beginning, I used to wonder why I'm ping-ponging around and why I'm in the places that I'm at. And the Lord's like, you're not defining it, Kevin. You've got to define it. You've got to define what your role is. You've got to define what it is you're doing and what it is you're not doing. And, I, of course, I didn't define it. I'm like, okay, then, Lord, you define it for me. And he's like, this. Does that make sense? You have free time. You know, you have work. I'm not talking about work. Of course, your boss is going to define your time for you. So you got eight hours of work. you got eight hours of sleep. But you got eight hours of, of, of free time. You have 40 hours a week that you can do anything you want. You can waste it. You can invest it. Choice is yours. Or you can let other people rob it from you. But you get a choice. You have to have a goal. Why do we have to have a goal? Okay? So let's just look at it like this. If there's a freighter, let's imagine a freighter, right? One of those big container freighters like you see down in Port of Miami. And this freighter is loaded with cargo. This freighter has all the potential in the world. It's carrying potential. Understand? It's got potential resting on it, but it doesn't have a captain. It doesn't have a manifest. In other words, it has no clue about what's on board the ship. It has no captain, no manifest. It doesn't have a heading. It doesn't even know what direction it's supposed to go in. It has no crew or no associations whatsoever, but we fire the motor up and send it out to sea. What, are, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? Throw something out there. It goes in circles, all right? It might sink. It might run, run up on a shore, shipwreck, right? But it's not going to achieve, or it's not going to get where it is created to get, and the potential upon it will be lost because it has no captain, it has no manifest, and it has no goal. It has no objective. But if you take that ship and you inventory it and you understand the potential that rests with it, you have a captain, someone that knows where it's going, and you have someone that the captain telling you where you're going, and you set off under power, right? Under power, you're going to reach your goal. 
happens every single day. So that's why it's important to have goals. Because without it, you're just like that ship. And in your life, people are wondering why their life is Gilligan's Island. If you don't know what Gilligan's Island is, just watch it, Nick at Night. Right? A bunch of people stranded on an island, and it's a comedy of errors. Right? And if you wonder why your life is Gilligan's Island, it's probably because you're shipwrecked. Because you didn't have a manifest. You don't have a captain. You don't, have, you don't understand. You don't have a goal. You don't have a port of call. You have no heading. You have nothing. And so you keep shipwrecking. You keep trying to launch out to sea, but then you find yourself right back on Gilligan's Island. Right? Lost. So you have to have that. It's important. When you have that, then you can actually reach port. The thing about something with goals, when a ship sails, the, its goal is not within reach for 90% of the journey. The captain cannot see or the crew cannot see the goal for 90% of the time, but yet it keeps sailing towards the goal even though the goal is not seen. You get that? So if we were to go to the port of Miami and we were going to go, I don't know, Let's go to Athens. You guys want to go to Athens? Let's go to Greece. Yeah? Lupe's like, let's go. And so we're going to sail around the world, and we're going to go to Greece. 90% of that journey, we can't see Athens. We can't see Greece. We can't see Greece. But we know we're going to Greece because that's our heading, and that's the goal, and that's the direction, and that's where everything is focused, in that direction. We'll eventually get there even though we can't see it most of the time. That's persistence. You have to have persistence. You have to be driven towards that. But you've got to have a goal. What's your goal? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of Christian do you want to be? What kind of daughter before your father do you want to be? All those are important. What kind of family do you want to have? Who, who are you? You know, th those things are important. You have to have a goal. I have people say to me, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. That's my goal. I want to be rich. Okay? Okay, hold on. Something's ringing. Ring, 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 ring. Oh, that's the clue phone. Let's pick up the clue phone. Oh, okay, no problem. Click, right? Clue phone. Truth be known, the fraction of you that will be rich are very small. So let me give you the bad news first. The people that will become rich in this world as we qualify it is fractional. However, everybody say, good news, you can become independently wealthy. 100%. You live in a land that creates independent wealth all day long. You can become independently wealthy. Rich, in the context of, of its d definition, requires a perfect storm of circumstances in order to, to get to that place. And it's not always the healthiest place to be. But the good news is, is that you can become independently wealthy. What does independently wealthy mean? You have, you have everything you need and more. You can come as you go. You can do what you want. You can, you know, you can swap cars every two years if that suits your fancy. You can give, right? Like, I can give. I can give generously. I can give abundantly, and it doesn't affect your income at all. That is achievable. So that's a realistic goal, right? You understand that? And a lot of times people set this arc that's up, I'm going to become rich, and the odds of you getting to that point is very, very low. Your goal should become independent wealth. That's an achievable goal. That's a realistic. Anybody want to become independently wealthy? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You're happy, right? You're, you're happy. That, that is achievable. I have people say to me, I have women say to me especially, I want to get married. I want to get married, Pastor. I want to get married. Everybody say it with me. Achievable goal. It's achievable. I'm going to address the dudes in a minute. And so I'll say to them, okay, girl, let's get you a cut. Let's get you a color, right? Let's work on the real estate here a little bit, okay? Develop a winning personality. Get your heart right with Jesus, get everything modeled out here, and then let's put you on the market. It's possible. It's possible. Some of you aren't ready to go on the market. 
You're looking for an investor in a house that's shabby. You know what I mean? You got to do a little work. Guys are the same way. I want to get married, man. I want to get married. I'm like, A, let's get a job. That's number one. Jobby job. Jobby job job. Let's get you a job. Let's get you self-dependent. Doesn't have to live on the water. Doesn't have to have a condo overlooking the skyline of Miami. That'd be nice, but that may not. Ha- that doesn't have to be. He has to be self-dependent, like he can support himself. If you can support yourself, you can support a family. So let's get you out of mom's basement. Let's get you off of uh, Call of Duty 12 hours a day. Let's get you stop playing video games for 12 hours. Can we reduce that down to two? Can we lower that to two? Right? All the guys know what I'm talking about. Let's get rid of Call of Duty. Get you out of mom's basement. Let's get you a job. Other than Uber Eats, nothing wrong with Uber Eats, but that's a hustle. That's not a job, right? Get a job and do the hustle, right? We should do a song about that. Get a job and do the hustle. Get a job and do the hustle, right? Do that. Work on yourself. Let's get rid of the John Gotti tracksuits. Dress like a man. And all the women said? Okay, I'm going to say it again. Okay. I like a little boy. Do you? Do you? Do you? You got mommy issues. You want to be a mommy to that man the whole life? Is that what you want? No, I'm just kidding. Somebody say, we dress like a man. That's right. Dress like a man. You can, we can wear shorts on the weekends, right? But you don't need to be wearing tracksuits all the time, swagging. You know what I mean? I mean, come on, man. The Bible tells you to put away childish things. It says, when I became a man, I put away the childish things. I stopped acting like a child. There's a transition moment. doesn't mean you don't have fun or anything like that. And then you, get, you go out there and you look for a godly woman. Hence the word godly woman. A woman who loves Jesus more than she loves you. A guy who loves Jesus more than he loves you. Most of the time, our goals are unrealistic. I talk to women, they're like, I want Brad Pitt. I'm like, you're not Angelina Jolie, so I don't know if you're going to get a Brad Pitt. You know what I'm saying? And it's not that you can't have someone that meets your fancy. It's just that we have this criteria that's insane. I just talked to this woman, and she's giving me what she, and she's just telling me, and I just listen. And then she goes down the list, and she's like, he's got to be at least an eight. You know, he's got to have hair like this. He's got to have this kind of job. He's got to have this kind of car. He's got to have all this. And then number four, number five was, oh, yeah, and he's got to love Jesus. I'm like, girl, you got your priorities in order, out of order, you know? What happens in marriage and what happens in relationship, and this is important, it doesn't matter where you are, but a life is designed to be built together. In other words, he's not going to be the package. You got me? And the other thing to the dudes, she's not going to be the package. But when you get married and you begin to integrate your lives, he becomes the package and she becomes the package. That's what happens. We don't want that because that's not what society teaches us, but that's the truth. You're looking for core values. You're looking for heart. That's what you're looking for. I watch women dismiss godly men. Well, he just does. He's, he's not in my, the economic strata that I'm believing God for. I'm like, okay, but he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. I mean, I, I see it all the time. You have a goal, but you got to have it realistic. You can have that goal, but you got to change. See what you want and become the person that can achieve that. You have to become that person. The person that you are cannot achieve what's in front of you. So therefore, you have to change. You have to become that person in order to achieve that. You have to change that. It can be progressive. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. You can do it. You can progress it out. But you're becoming the person. What does it look like? 
I mean, I can put it in all kinds of contexts from my life, but I don't, I'm not really trying to do that. I'm trying to put it for you and trying to get you to understand it. What does that look like? What does it look like? Things that God is calling me to do, the vision that God is setting in front of me, and I'm looking at it, and you know, my wife's talking to me about it. I'm like, I can't do that right now. She's like, why can't you? Why can't you? And I'm like, because I'm committed in too many other areas. I said, I'm going to do that, but I cannot do that until I deal with these issues first. You understand that? I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that. I have to, I, it, it's in front of me, but I have, I'm committed over here, so I have to progressively change from where I am to where I need to be in order to become the person that God is changing for me into for the season of the life that I'm in. Does that make sense to you? You can have it, right? You can have joy. You can have happiness. It's never, you know, look, it's always a battle. It's always a fight. So don't think you're not going to fight. You're always going to get, you better get used to fighting because that's the way it is, right? But it hurts so good. You start winning these fights and you're like, yeah, let's go, right? You start dressing differently. You get yourself some fight clothes. You get a fight uniform on. You're like, oh, we're going to fight? Let's go. Let's go. Because I know I'm going to win. Success is progressive realization towards a worthy goal. I'm going to give you this last thing, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. Best chapter on vision in the Bible other than Joshua 1, which is another good one. Joshua 1, Habakkuk chapter 2. Amazing. This is definitely, I would say, based on goals, you know. Joshua 1 is more directive, but this one is going to give you a lot of practicality. So if you read this, it says, the prophet is saying, you know, he's saying, I will stand watch. This is a crazy story. We just talked about this in a leadership group. It's in the era of Nehemiah. And so you got all these things, these crazy things going on. Everybody's losing hope. Nobody knows what to do. You know, the the priest, Zerubbabel, is ready to quit. The pastor is ready to throw in the towel. He can't move the ball. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, the prophet comes to him and says, if I told you what I'm doing, Zerubbabel, your ears would tingle. There's a vision, right? Then you got Habakkuk. All the people are all out of, because they're under such pressure, and there's all these things done, and everybody wants to quit. And the Lord's like, you need a vision. You need a goal. You need an objective that is greater than, say with me, I need an objective. I need a future that is greater than my current circumstances. Sitting around playing and crying and weeping and bemoaning isn't going to change anything. Waiting on a change. You have to ask the Lord for a vision that is greater than your current circumstances. You have to ask the Lord to birth in you a goal that is greater than your current circumstances. Whatever that may be. Can be simple, can be great, can be complex, it doesn't matter. The point is the goal. Habakkuk says, I will stand watch and I will set myself on the rampart. In other words, I'm going to get up from where I am and I'm going to go up to where I need to be. I'm going to lay down on the ground and I'm going to cry. He didn't say that. He's going to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go up to the place where I need to be. And I'm going to stand. And he said, I will watch and see what the Lord says to me. So here's the prophetic nature of God. God speaks in vision. He says, I'm going to watch and see what the Lord will say. So in other words, it's going to come as a vision because that's one of the ways God speaks is he speaks in vision. And so he said, I'm going to watch and see, and I will answer him when I'm corrected. So if the Lord says you're the problem, are you willing to listen to that? So the prophet says, this is the key to success right here. I'm going to watch and see what the Lord says. And if he says you're the issue, this is, your, your cho- this is the problem. Are you willing to deal with it? Or if he says you're the problem, your attitude's wrong, your, people, the, the, your associations are wrong, you presume, you assume, you don't inquire of me, you take it upon yourself, you do it your way, not my way. You're the problem. You're egotistical. You're arrogant. You're selfish, you're greedy, right? You're consumer, you're not a communer. 
You can't see past your nose. It's all about you. Are you willing to hear that? You want it your way. You do it. I say this. I say left. You say right. You argue and fight me every turn. You have your own theology that's not mine. Are you willing to hear that? Are you? <laughs> I love it. I'm like, correct me, Jesus, if I'm wrong. I want him to correct me. Because, you know, even in his correction, he's beautiful. I'm just, just talk. I don't care. You can correct me all day long. Just keep talking. He's amazing. There's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. But you've got to be willing to hear the correction. Most people aren't. That's why they never hear correction, because they don't want to hear it. Jesus is like, you don't want to hear it? No problem. You know it all? Great. Great. I'll be here when you don't know anything. When you come to the conclusion that you know nothing, just call, and I'll answer you. When you come to the place that you're willing to receive my correction, call and I'll answer. But so long as you don't want my correction and so long as you don't want my instruction, you're on your own. And that's where most people find themselves because they don't need the Lord's instruction. They don't want the Lord's instruction. They think they know it all. They think they got it all figured out. Another story, another time. He said, I will stand and I will, I will answer him when he corrects me. In other words, I'll take it. I'll listen to him and I'll respond to his correction. He says, the just shall live by faith. Then the Lord answered me. So as soon as he positioned himself in that way, the Lord starts talking to him. And he says, write the vision. What I'm showing you, everybody say it with me, write it down. Write it down. You have to write the vision. There's something about writing it. Write the vision. Make it plain upon tables so that they that read it may run with it. Write down what I'm saying and, and, and write down the steps. Here's where I want to go and here's the steps. And these are the steps that I'm going to take. And this is the process that I'm going to do. And I'm going to read it. And I'm going to read it daily if I have to. And I'm going to take action, actionable steps. And I'm going to take actionable steps into the vision and the steps that God has laid before me. And then he says, wait for it. Wait for it because it's for an appointed time. If it delays, don't worry. It's coming. He's basically telling you, if you set these goals down and you do it the way that he's telling you, you're going to get what he's telling you. You're going to get the vision that he's telling you. You're going to get the goals. What is God showing you? What is, what is, what, you should ask God, show me a financial future beyond the ones that I'm at. Give me a financial future. I was talking with a guy yesterday in the men's group while we were sword fighting, and all you dudes missed out on the sword fighting was like stick drills, bro, with shields, and you missed it. You missed it, Alex. You could have been on my team, man. And I wouldn't have had a sore knuckle. I would have been behind you. Get him, Alex. Go get him. Get him, Alex. And I was talking with a guy, and as I was praying for him, he's been having some issues. And I felt like the Lord, I kept seeing him like he, when he was in his 30s, and he had long, dark hair and everything. And I said, you need to see yourself when you were young. You need to see yourself as a project. You need to see in your spirit this person because you're seeing yourself in the wrong way. You're thinking it's over, and it's not over. As you believe in your heart, so you are, right? How do you think Caleb makes it? You're like, I don't know about that. You, you, Caleb, you know Caleb, Caleb waited 40 years? Anybody know what he said to Joshua when he came to get the inheritance? He said, I'm the same person today that I was then. He was much older, but Caleb didn't see himself as an old man. Caleb saw himself as the same person that the promise was made to. This promise was made to me in your youth. I'm as strong this day as I was then. I'm the same person. I'm, I am that person. He was coming from that place. Another story. Don't have time. Probably put my foot in my mouth on that one, but anyway, it's all right. <laughs> Write it down. What is he telling you? 
Show me the steps, Lord. Show me how to get there. What am I doing? What am I doing? You have to listen to him. Let him correct you. You have to create this communion with him and allow him to talk to you. Had two people this week. I'll share this with you. This is a little off the record. It's off topic. But, hey, it's second service, so it gets a little relational in second service. So I'm going to give you a little relational thing. Do you guys want it? If not, I can just finish it. Yes? Okay. This side says yes. Mimi's always a yes. So do you guys want it? Okay. All right. We're good. All right. So um, two people asking me this week, like, about hearing the Lord. And, you know, how do I do that? And I told him, I said, you got to create that space. I don't know what your space is, but you have to create it, whatever it is. And you have to create a communal time with him. And so the only reference I gave, and I gave it to both of them, was like, look, I create a space in the morning. And so I walk, and I have headphones on, and it's my yes. And I don't do anything before this. I do nothing before this. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) And I hear the Lord, and I'll go out, and I'll listen to something that's encouraging. I've shared this before, but I'll tell you what he told me this week. And so I was talking to him this week, and I was just walking down the road, and I'm listening to the Lord, and I'm talking to him. And as soon as I feel it or I feel like the inspiration, I'll start communing with him, and I'll start talking to him. And then he always starts talking to me, always. He'll, if I'm talking, he'll, be, he'll, he'll give me brief instructions. Sometimes he gives me more elaborate instructions. So it's, it's a developmental thing. You have to develop it. You will never develop it if you don't start. Huh? People are like, I want to hear God like you. I'm like, it took me years. Okay? Now I can get you there a lot faster than it took me because I had to figure it out my own, my, on my own. I had to figure out the way that he spoke. I had to figure out how he spoke. I had to figure out what was necessary in me communicating. Jesus will not let you cheat on this relationship. He's not going to be your bellhop. Ding! I want my answer, Jesus. He's not your concierge. He's not bringing you room service. You must commune with him. You must give into this relationship or you won't won't receive at that level. You just won't. I didn't say you won't receive. You won't receive at that level. You have to give into it. And you have to give of yourself. And that, that's what's required. And so as I begin to hear God and listen to the Lord, and he starts telling me this and that and whatever, and if I'm wrong, i got to fix things. If I'm not, I'm always asking him things, and he's always there. He's the wonderful counselor. And I am absolutely, completely, and holistically dependent upon it, 100%. And so I'm walking with him this week. And so you, I was just sharing with these people, you've got to create that space. And this one woman was saying, well, I worship. I, I listen to worship all the time. I said, listening to worship isn't enough. I said, you have to listen to, I'm not saying we're listening to worship is wrong, but you have to listen to worship. And as soon as the worship begins to move you, you have to engage him with honor. Begin to honor him. Father, I thank you. I thank you that not everything is right, but you're working it all out. I thank you for the person that you are, Lord. I thank you that you love me. I mean, you just begin to give him glory. Even if you don't feel like it, you begin to honor him. I thank you, Lord, that you are leading me by the way. I thank you for where you've brought me. I thank you that you brought me to Elevate Miami Church where I can hear all about you and I can receive the Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, for what you've done. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to speak ill against you. I'm not going to make excuses, Lord. I just want to honor you. And when you start doing that out of the place of worship, some of you never opened your mouth before ever to the Lord. You've never opened up your mouth. The Bible says, open your mouth wide, taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to start talking to Jesus. You've got to start honoring him. Lord, I just need help with this circumstance. Stop doing that. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God of heaven. I thank you that no circumstance is greater than you. 
I thank you that you are for me and not against me. I thank you that I'm not bound to this world, but I'm bound to yours. You begin to honor him. I even feel power rising in me right now while I'm, talking, while I'm saying it. You start, you start doing that, and you can start to feel the communion. And then you feel the communion, and the love relationship is activated. And it is always from the love relationship, Christian, that we, t- we, start, to co- we start to converse with him. Most of the time, see, I'm a communer. I'm a prayer communer. I'm not against intercessors. Thank God for the intercessors. Keep intercessing. Intercede for me on all occasions at all times because God knows I need it. And so last night, the men's group, they're like, I want to pray for me, Pastor. And I'm like, lay it on on me. You know, so I'm not against intercession. I just tend to not, I tend to be more of a communing prayer. That tends to be my lane. And so that's the place that I come from. And so I come into this communalness with him, and I let the love relationship rise within me, and from, I feel it now. And I feel the love relationship with him, and I start to talk to him. And he starts to answer me. But he's not talking to me out of the air and out of a need. And like, you know, he's talking to me out of that love relationship. I'm in that, I'm in that connecting point with him. And so the first thing is to find the connecting point. And I'm not afraid. If, if he doesn't answer me today, he's going to answer me tomorrow. Or he's going to answer me because my father loves me. And my father's got this, right? We were at this conference and they kept saying, Papa's got this, Papa's got this. And I was just like, it made me feel weird at first. I'm like, what do you mean Papa's got this? And so then I started saying, well, whatever, Papa's got this, you know? So I was like, because they're all saying it. And I'm like, okay, Papa's got this. But so it's like, you know, getting into that place and then having that counsel with him and letting him talk to you. He will correct you. He will correct you. If you can't handle his correction, he's going to stop talking to you. You'll still feel his love and everything, but you'll wonder where his voice went. His voice stopped when you stopped listening to his correction. He will correct you. It's not all koozie, koozie, koo. It's not all about that. He's going to correct you, especially if you're asking him, why can't I move forward? Because you won't listen. Why won't I listen? You're disobedient. Where am I disobedient? You're disobedient in this area. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Let's open the books. Let's look. Right? You will not listen to me. Long story. I have a lot of stories off this. So I'm walking down. I was just explaining this to two people this week. And one person was saying, but I worship every day. I worship every day. I said, it's not enough. You have to engage. Not just feeding yourself with worship. That's good. But then begin to honor. Turn the receptivity into honor. From the honor, let the love relationship, let the connection come. Begin to bless him until you feel him. Begin to honor him until you feel him. Begin to break through from the heart level and let it be heart to heart. And now you're in a relationship. And now he's going to tell you, yeah, get up. You're feeling sorry for yourself. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You have unbelief. No, I don't. Yes, you do. It's a big story in my life. One of the things that changed me, God told me you have unbelief. I'm like, how in the world do I have unbelief? I had a big argument with him. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, man. I got unbelief. Are you kidding me? A lot of things you can say to me, Jesus, but unbelief, I don't think it's one of them. I don't think it's one of them. I'm like, look at my life. Belief, 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 belief. Faith, I jump out of the airplane without an air, without a parachute. That's faith. What are you talking about? Unbelief. And he said to me, if you believed that I was going to do with your life what I told you would do, you would be living differently. But because you will not live in accordance to what I told you, you don't really believe that that's what I said. So you have unbelief. Now, where in the world does that come from? Where does that come from? That comes from depth. That comes from treasure. That comes from deep relationship. Not because I'm superior but that, once you taste that, you're like, oh, my gosh, give me that again. Where, I don't know where that came from, but I want more of that. More of that. I was walking with him this morning. I always talk to him. and I always ask him, I'm like, Lord, who am I to you? And he always says elaborate things to me, like he'll say things. And you should practice it sometimes. Get in the love relationship. Lord, who am I to you? You're my princess. 
well, what kind of princess? And then he'll start saying things to you. Jesus is a hopeless romantic. I don't know if you're aware of this. He's powerful and he's encouraging. I was asking him this week, I said, who am I to you? He said, you're my inheritance. I literally stopped. You know, I could stop me because I'd never heard him talk like that. He said, you're my inheritance. And I thought, well, how do I respond to that? And I said, then spend me. Spend me lavishly. Start writing checks, Jesus. If I'm your inheritance, start writing checks. Where are you? Where are you? I talk like this, and again, I'm going to address my YouTube critics out there. This guy goes, you're so full of it. Because you think the Holy Spirit can talk to us? You're so full of it. And I'm like, yeah, I am full of it. I'm full of him. And he does talk to me, 100%. <laughs> we have a lot of great YouTube fans, so I want to bless you. You guys are amazing. You guys are awesome. Critics don't count, by the way, just to let you know. Write your goals. Connect at a deep level. Let your father talk to you. Start getting in that place and you want a vision, ask the Lord for the vision. Lord, show me. He might say, look, I'm not going to show you that because you're so far from that. You can just say, Lord, show me how to get from here to here. Show me how to get from survival to some level of success. Show me. Greg, show me how to make this deal happen. Give me a revelation, Lord, of how to make it happen. Every plan that I've laid down, if, you don't ha if, this, if every idea that I have and the way this is going to go is not of you, then I stand my rampart and I let you correct me and show me the way that it is supposed to work. Don't marry yourself to your own ideas. Don't marry yourself to the way you think it should go. Let him tell you, and he may approve it. He may say, yep, that's it. Yep, that's it. But he also may say, that, that's not what I want. Again, this is deep stuff, Christian. This is living relationship. This is what we're all called to, a living, breathing relationship with a living, breathing God. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. Okay. <laughs> what, did I, where we're gonna, what am I going to do? I'll just, what you put in you is going to come out of you. Put good things in you. You know, so like I can give it to you practically. I do it this way. I'll let God tell me. And then I put my, I, I double down on that. And I'm not saying, some of you, you might say, that's so far from me, I don't even feel like I can connect to that. You know, what you're talking about, Pastor, I just feel like it, it, it's yours. You may not be developed in that way. So if you're not there, then just begin to write down goals. Begin to write down things and begin to ask the Lord, is this okay with you? And you're gonna hear like, you'll, be, like you'll sense his approval, you'll sense his favor, whatever. But I let God, he's like, you're a son. You're a son before my father. Where do you think I get this stuff from? I don't get this stuff because I read it in a book. I don't even hear anybody talk like I talk, not because I'm some superior person, you know, the Lord, tell me, you're my son. You're loved on your worst day. He says, Kevin, I'm for you even when you're against you. I remember when he told me that the first time. He's like, I, Kevin, am for you even when you're against me. And I started thinking, man, I'm against myself a lot. You know what I mean? And I'm like, but the Lord is with, is for me even when I'm against me. And so I take it and I turn it around back to you, right? And I tell you the same thing because what's true, what he's saying is truth. And so I can tell you, your sons and daughters, and you're loved on your worst day. And your God is for you, even when he's against you, even when you're against you. I heard him tell me one time, I'm in the restoration business. That was a mind blower. I was like, what? And I was like, wait a second. You're in the restoration business. I'm like, I screwed it up, God. I broke it. Oh, my God. I burned it down. Ah. Start crying like a goose. Uh, 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 uh. Start crying really bad. I made a mess. And he says, Kevin, I'm in the restoration business. I'm in the restoration business. And I started thinking, my father is in the restoration business. You get where I'm coming from? No? Okay. I'm wearing you out. 
<laughs> God loves you. He's for you. He wants nothing but good. And he wants you to supersede. He's not looking for common sons and daughters. He's looking for extraordinary sons and daughters. He's got plenty of common sons and daughters. Plenty. They're common not because he wants them to be common. They're common because they want to be common. The question is, is do you want to be common? Or do you want to be the uncommon among your father's children? I want to be the uncommon. You're welcome to it. He opens the door to you. He's going to change it. He'll do it if you'll let him. You believe it? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to share the things of your spirit and the things of your heart. Lord, I just put life upon these words that everything that is spoken, all your word will not return to you void, Lord, but will prosper where it is sent, Lord. So I just put prosperity and blessing upon the word that was sown forth into the heart. I pray for insight. I pray for revelation. I pray for understanding. I pray for dreams and visions. I pray for the inspiration, the inspirited power to rise above the 95% and to strive and to reach and to become and to live towards that higher calling, Lord. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I pray for great and mighty things. I pray for dreams and visions. I pray for specific goals written down, active goals that move your sons and daughters forward, Lord, and move us forward as a group, Lord, into greater things of faith. And God, we just give you the glory for that in Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a prayer team available if you need prayer for anything. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.